Brush up your Shakespeare. Start quoting him now. Brush up your Shakespeare. And no women, you will wow. Just declaim a few lines. Hello, Shannon Riley here, inviting you to join me every Sunday here on KSCF as I talk Shakespeare on Shannon Shakespeare Sunday. Every Sunday at 8 and 8, archived here at Kansas 785 Live, as well as on my own website, ShannonJRiley.com. Join me and let's talk a little bit about the bar on KSCF every Sunday, 8 to 8. Listening to KSEF, a digital broadcast in Topeka, brought to you by 785 Magazine. Learn more at 785live.com. And now it's time for Shannon Shakespeare Sunday with your host, my daddy, Shannon Riley. Hello, everybody, and welcome back once again to Shannon Shakespeare Sunday, right here on KSEF Digital Radio 75Live.com. I'm Shannon Riley. It is my pleasure to be your host on this, the only podcast in Northeast Kansas devoted to the works of the greatest playwright who ever lived, William Shakespeare. It's my pleasure to be here. I want to thank KSEF once again for allowing me to come to you every Sunday on the 8th to talk about William Shakespeare. Once again, I'm Shannon Riley. I am not a Shakespearean scholar. I do not claim to be a Shakespearean scholar, but I am a devotee of Shakespeare, and I enjoy talking about William Shakespeare's works. I've been a huge fan of Shakespeare for most of my life, and I've had this chance to be on KSEF since, well, last October in the middle of the pandemic when I started doing this program. I'm in the midst of taking each one of Shakespeare's plays now and talking about them individually as I go through, and I'm up to his greatest work ever, Hamlet. And I must say... I'm a little intimidated even talking about this amazing piece of theater. It's no understatement to say Hamlet is the masterpiece of the greatest writer who ever wrote for the theater. This is a unbelievable play that has been retold, repurposed, and reused for over 400 years. There's even a statistic I heard that somewhere on the globe, every day, a production of Hamlet opens. Now, that statistic came before the worldwide pandemic, which probably put a wrinkle in all of those productions. But nevertheless, you cannot doubt its popularity. Even in Shakespeare's time, it was popular, and it's become his most popular work. In fact, it is still the most taught play and most quoted Shakespearean play of all of his works. So I want to do him justice today as we talk about William Shakespeare's Hamlet, but I also want to hear from you. So if you're new to the channel, remember you can reach me by sending me an email at shannon at shannonjriley.com. That's shannon at shannonjriley.com. Riley is spelled R-E-I-L-L-Y. Also, you can visit shannonjriley.com where you can find... All of my past podcasts, they're, they're all right there, as well as my short films, some of my scripts. You can find out a little bit about my plays and my shorter murder mystery one acts. I would love you to go and visit and let me know what you think of this program or anything else on there. I'd love to hear from you. And I'm very excited to talk about Hamlet today. Now, first, let's talk about where Hamlet comes from, because it was an old story even when Shakespeare started writing Hamlet. It's based on a 13th century story of a legend by a, the name of Amleth, which was a Danish prince. Amleth is simply Hamlet with the H at the end. And it was uh, written by a chronicler named Saxo Grammicus, 
And it tells the story of a Danish prince whose father is murdered by his brother. His brother takes the throne from him and takes his wife. And in order to seek out revenge, Amleth pretends to be insane for a while. So he gets shipped off to England. While in England, he becomes friend with the English king, raises an army, and returns to kill his father. So you can see the obvious beginning story of Hamlet. But that's not all. It was an old legend even before the 13th century when it was first put down to pen by Saxogrammacus. But there's another Hamlet I want to talk about, and it's a Hamlet that Shakespeare may have used for his Hamlet. You see, we know that Hamlet itself was published three different times. Three different versions of Hamlet were published. Those three different versions of Hamlet written by William Shakespeare caused quite a bit of confusion, but they're all based on a previous Hamlet that we know that existed before the publishing of any of these three different versions of Hamlet by Shakespeare. It's called the Ur-Hamlet. And the Ur-Hamlet was referenced by various people of Shakespeare's time talking about the play Hamlet that was being done on the riverside in various theaters prior to the writing of Shakespeare's Hamlet. But we don't know who wrote this Ur-Hamlet. Some people think it might have been written by Thomas Kidd, who wrote the Spanish tragedy. Thomas Kidd was very famous for this style of writing. It's called revenge drama, and that's the kind of plays he wrote. It could have been written by Thomas Kidd, yet there's no reference that Thomas Kidd ever wrote a Hamlet, which seems strange considering who Thomas Kidd was. He was pretty popular and pretty famous at the time. So was it another playwright? Or, as many scholars, and again, I don't believe I'm a scholar, but I share this opinion, many scholars believe the Ur-Hamlet was actually an earlier version of Hamlet written by Shakespeare himself, possibly staged by the Lord Chamberlain's men a few times. But the Hamlet that we know was massively rewritten and redone by William Shakespeare. But the question is, why? Why did he go back and put so much time into it, and why are there three different versions? Well, I think there's a hint. There's a hint in a very silly yet possible rumor about the play Hamlet. You see, it's believed that when Hamlet first was produced, probably around 1559, 1600, or 1601, the role of Hamlet's father, the ghost in the play, might have been played by William Shakespeare. Now, we don't know that. I love the story that it might be. Certainly that it's known that he took on roles in his own plays because he served as both playwright and quasi-director for the show when it was his play, and he was an actor. So it's very possible that he did take on that role. But the role of Hamlet's father, the ghost of Hamlet's father, is very important to why I think he rewrote this play and could not stop rewriting it, which is why there's three versions of the play. So I'm going to get into that, but first, like any play, we got to stop and listen to some of the quotes. And this is the most quotable play in existence. I could quote Hamlet by just saying start at the first letter and end at the last. It is the most quotable play he wrote. But I'm going to give you some quotes and I'm, I'm going to let my boy introduce them. And now, the Shakespeare quote of the week. That's right, the quotes from Hamlet. My goodness, there's so many good ones. You can think about the main soliloquies that start with, Oh, that this too, too solid flesh would melt, thaw, and resolve itself into a dew. From Hamlet, Act 1, Scene 2. Or, listen to many, speak to few. Polonius, Act 1, Scene 3. Neither a lender nor a borrower be. Polonius, Act 1, Scene 3. Polonius was filled with a lot of really good advice, let me tell you, until, of course, he gets killed. This above all, to thine own self be true. Polonius, Act 1, Scene 3. Something is rotten in the state of Denmark. Act 1, Scene 4. Though one may smile and smile and be a villain. Hamlet, Act 1, Scene 5. There are more things in heaven and earth, Horatio, than are dreamed of in your philosophy. Hamlet, Act 1, Scene 5. 
Polonius says, Brevity is the soul of wet, Act 2, Scene 2. Though there be madness, yet there is method in it, Polonius, Act 2, Scene 2. I, I just could go on and on. There, there are so many great quotes, and many of them we still use today. Even such a simple one is sweet to the sweet. I am mad north by northwest. I know a hawk from a handsaw. Frailty, thy name is woman. <laughs> we quote Hamlet almost every day, and we just don't know it. Just like we quote many of Shakespeare's plays, but Hamlet is the most quotable. And the reason is, it is a masterpiece. Now, I really should get into the synopsis, and I'm kind of tempted not to do that since you're listening to a Shakespeare podcast. Surely you already know the synopsis of William Shakespeare's Hamlet. But just in case you don't, how about I go over some stuff, okay? First of all, the play opens late at night, where there's guards on the battlement of Denmark's Elsinore Castle. And they're joined by Horatio, who happens to be Hamlet's best friend. They tell him that every night, a ghost has been appearing on the battlements, and that ghost looks just like Hamlet's father, the dead king. As they stand and wait, sure enough, the ghost appears and wanders around the battlements, and Horatio decides he must tell Hamlet right away. Meanwhile, Claudius, Hamlet's uncle, has married Hamlet's recently widowed wife, making him both Hamlet's uncle and father. <laughs> Stepfather, that is. He is the new king of Denmark. Hamlet is in mourning, and not only upset about his father's death, he laments his mother's lack of loyalty in marrying his uncle. Horatio appears and tells him about the ghost, and he wants to see it for himself. Elsewhere, a royal attendant, Polonius, is saying farewell to his son, Laertes, who is departing for France. Laertes warns his sister, Ophelia, stay away from Hamlet. He thinks too much, and he is dangerous, and he doesn't like the attention he gives her. The ghost appears to Hamlet, claiming indeed to be the ghost of his father. He tells Hamlet that Claudius, the current king, and Hamlet's uncle murdered him, and Hamlet swears vengeance for his father. Hamlet decides to feign madness while he gathers his wits and decides what he will do to bring about vengeance for his father. In Act 2, according to his plan, Hamlet begins to act strangely. He rejects Ophelia, his intended, while Claudius and Polonius and a royal attendant spy on him. They are hoping to find the reason for Hamlet's sudden change in his behavior, but they cannot. Claudius calls for Guildenstern and Rosencrantz, two of Hamlet's best old friends. He asks them to keep an eye on Hamlet and report back to him to find out what might be vexing him. Hamlet greets a group of traveling players. He has written a short play for them, and in it is a scene that mimics the death of his father, Hamlet Sr., the former king. During the rehearsal, Hamlet and the actors plot to present Hamlet's play before Claudius and Gertrude, his stepfather and mother. In Act 3, the performance takes place, and Hamlet watches Claudius so closely to see how he reacts. The play provokes Claudius, and it makes him run in fear. He does not like watching this murder take place again. Gertrude, in the meantime, is very concerned about how Hamlet has been acting. But Hamlet's convinced by the way Claudius acted watching this play that he's obviously the killer of his father, and he must find a way to act to wreak his revenge. Gertrude sends for Hamlet to come to her room so she can talk to her son and try to get to the reason for his, his recent strange behavior. Polonius convinces Gertrude to let him hide in the closet so he can listen to her, so he hides behind a tapestry and spies on Hamlet talking to Gertrude. While they are speaking, Hamlet figures out that they are being listened to. Thinking it's Claudius hiding behind the uh, tapestry, he pulls the sword and immediately stabs it into the tapestry, killing Polonius. 
The ghost of Hamlet's father reappears, warns his son, do not delay the revenge and stop upsetting your mother. In Act 4, Hamlet, now having killed Polonius, is sent away to England. And a letter is given to Rosencrantz and Guildenstern to accompany Hamlet. In that letter, it asks for the King of England to immediately put Hamlet to death. But Hamlet discovers the letter aboard the ship and changes it so that the letter demands Rosencrantz and Guildenstern be put to death. Meanwhile, Hamlet himself is captured and taken by pirates aboard a ship. Back in Elsinore, rejected by Hamlet, Ophelia, now grown mad herself and despondent over the death of her father, commits suicide by drowning herself. Hamlet, who is taken by pirates, arranges his own ransom and is able to get away. On his way back to Denmark, Hamlet runs into Horatio in a graveyard along with a couple of gravediggers. They're digging in they find a skull in the ground and Hamlet asks who is that skull belong to and he discovers it's an old clown that he used to love as a child. Laertes comes upon him and immediately challenges him to a fight, but before they can finish the duel, the funeral train of Ophelia arrives to bury Ophelia. Hamlet realizes that she has committed suicide. In Act 5, a duel is arranged between Hamlet and Laertes. Claudius conspires with Laertes, makes sure that there's poison in a wine cup that Hamlet will drink, and that Laertes' sword is also poisoned at the tip. There's no way Hamlet's coming out of this alive. But Hamlet discovers the treachery when his mother drinks from the poison cup. Laertes stabs Hamlet with his poison sword, and Hamlet is able to disarm him, take his sword, and stab Laertes. Then he turns on his stepfather Claudius, stabbing Claudius and forcing him to drink the, what's left of the poison wine. At the end, there's a huge body count of everybody lies dying, including Hamlet. But he's been avenged, and he believes he did the right thing. And that is the story of Hamlet. We want to talk more now about this story and why it was so important to William Shakespeare, I believe, and why it became such a masterpiece in his hands. We'll do that after this break. You're listening to Shannon Shakespeare Sunday right here on KSEF Digital Radio. I'll be right back. Right here is where I would say now for a brief word from our sponsors, but I'm just sitting here waiting for you to put words in my mouth. So for advertising opportunities, go to 785live.com. Hello and welcome back to Shannon Shakespeare Sunday right here on KSEF 785 Digital Radio, 785live.com. I'm Shannon Riley and we are talking today about Hamlet. Now I just gave you a very brief, very quick synopsis. I did leave some characters out and I apologize that I went through it so fast. It, it's a very long play. It's Shakespeare's longest play as a matter of fact, over 4,000 words. So if I were to give a detailed synopsis, that would have been my show. And there's some other things I want to talk about here. First of all, going back to the fact that it is the longest Shakespearean play, over 4,000 words. Now keep in mind, Shakespeare's plays at this time are performed between 1 and 3 in the afternoon at the Globe Theatre on the banks of the London Thames. So it's unlikely that the play was ever produced in its full length. It would have always had to have been cut. It's estimated that about a thousand words of Shakespeare's text could have been spoken in an hour period. So if you had a thousand words being spoken and it's 4,000 words long, that gives you a running time of William Shakespeare's play of over four hours. 
In fact, there's two movie versions of this. The BBC did one where it was Shakespeare completely uncut, the entire Hamlet script. It's four hours and 20-some minutes long. Likewise, Kenneth Branagh did an uncut version of Hamlet, and it also is close to four hours and 30 minutes long. Now, granted, our style of acting today is a lot slower. It's more methodical. It's more naturalistic. Shakespeare's company would have been very fast, spoken quickly with a lot of gestures, but still, there's no way Hamlet could ever have been performed within a two-hour length of time without it being cut. So why? Why does Shakespeare make this play so much longer than any other? And why are there three different versions? And how did Shakespeare's company come up with which one to include in the folio? Okay, so I'm going to back up a little bit to something that I read recently that just set me off. I, I don't agree with many Shakespearean scholars on some things they say. Because sometimes when I'm looking at their quotes about Shakespeare, I realize that these are people who are very well read, very well educated, but are not necessarily theater people. They're missing that dynamic, that personality that makes us theater people. And it was this quote. It was, Some people have accredited Shakespeare's obsession with Hamlet due to the death of his son Hamnet. It should not be forgotten that Hamnet is not Hamlet and had no bearing on Shakespeare's play. That's the biggest bunch of malarkey I have heard about Shakespeare in a long time. In my opinion, it had everything to do with it. And I'm going to back up a second. First of all, Shakespeare had a son by the name of Hamnet. Hamnet dies. He dies August 1596. We don't know what killed Hamnet. We may never know. It's doubtful to me that it was a plague. I think we would know it was a plague because it would have been mentioned on his death uh, notice. But instead, he could have fallen out of a tree. He could have had a ruptured appendix. It could have been anything. But this boy at 10 years old is dead. Shakespeare even misses his funeral. What does Shakespeare do right after Hamnet's death? He moves his wife and her two daughters, their two daughters, out of his father's house and into New Place, the second largest house in Stratford. He could have bought this house a while ago, but he does it now. He does it here. And he does it because he is fraught with remorse, fraught with guilt. Now, this is my opinion. But he realizes that he has abandoned his family to pursue his life in London. And though it's been very profitable, and he's been sending money back home, and he's come to visit when he can, in all honesty, he's been an absentee father. And at the death of Hamnet, he is deeply struck by what happened. Now he goes back to London. Now, put yourself in William Shakespeare's shoes. You return to London, you've got to return to writing plays, and there, maybe sitting on a shelf, is a dusty old script that you wrote before called Hamlet. Hamnet and Hamlet are not worlds apart. They, are, in fact, were very interchangeable. Hamnet was named after Shakespeare's neighbor, Hamnet Sandler, both he and his wife, Judith. So it was Shakespeare and his wife who named their twins, Hamnet and Judith. Here's the deal. Hamnet, Hamnet Sandler, often signed his name Hamlet. They were both very common names of the period. And it's often they were interchangeable. Shakespeare could not have helped but look at this Ur script of Hamlet and think he has to rewrite it. He has to involve himself in it. And what does he do when he gets it done? He plays the ghost of Hamlet's father. Only it's he who is dead and not Hamnet. I think it's very plausible that the very fact that this boy dies and Shakespeare never really knew his son, that he feels this need and this desire to make up for that time, to leave a lasting presence of his son's life. 
I also want to look at when these quartos were published because it involves something else too. Now, there, as I said, there are three earlier visions of Hamlet that were published. One was in a first quarto that came out in 1603. A second quarto came out in 1604, very close. And then there was a folio version that came out in 1623. All three plays are different, very different. Other plays did come out in quarto form and had some changes to it. And that's to be believed before they went into the folio. This play had marvelously different quotes. Even to be or not to be, that is the question. In one of the quartos was to be or not to be, that is the point. So there are changes within very common text there. I believe these changes existed because Shakespeare himself could not stop perfecting the play, which is why it's over 4,000 words long. He kept working on it. He kept changing it because he wanted it to be a lasting memory of his son, but not only his son. You see, that first quarter was published in 1603. John Shakespeare, Shakespeare's father, dies in September of 1601. This starts a remarkable period in Shakespeare's life where his male relatives start dying off. He buries his brother Gilbert. He buries his brother Richard. He buries his brother Edmund. He ends up with a wife, a sister, and two daughters, all of whom he doesn't really know anymore. His work even changes after Hamlet to be much more driven towards the idea of a man and his relationship to women in his world. Prior to this, and including Hamlet here, this work is truly driven by a fraternal need, driven by a paternal need to understand our place with our male relatives, our male kindred spirits. Shakespeare says goodbye to both his son and his father within a very short period of time. And these two deaths really rock his world. And he starts work on Hamlet in a feverish pitch. He writes it and writes it and rewrites it. To the point, his own cast must have saying, Hey, Bill, enough is enough on this Hamlet thing. But no, he kept going. It was that important to William Shakespeare. And I don't think it was important because he was so madly in love with the story. He was much more driven to express his feelings over his loss and his need for the men in his life that are no longer with him. The first quarto is very short. It's missing a lot original text. And it's believed it was probably very closely related to that Ur Hamlet. It certainly, if Shakespeare wrote it, it could have been. But the one in 1604 is much longer, much longer. And it's much longer because I think he goes back and adds more in. One scholar even put it, and I think there's a, a, a kind of a good way to put it, it's kind of like when you watch a DVD and it's got the deleted scenes in it. Shakespeare puts in things that he might have been thinking of or might have led him to write beyond that, and those are the elements that are jumped over. Matter of fact, if you look at the Cordo in 1604, which I haven't, but I've read, it's a little bit hard to follow. It's a little disjointed, as if he put in his original thoughts and then his revised thoughts. His original thoughts, revised again thoughts. So it's an amazing and long piece. So what was the finished product? Well, in 1623, his friends put together what they considered the definitive version of the tragedy of Hamlet, Prince of Denmark. It's still the longest play he ever wrote, but it's brilliant, and it truly does 
express all of this inner workings and thoughts that Shakespeare had as he was writing these plays. There's another real neat thing about that final play, and that is Shakespeare again turns theater on its ear. Remember that Shakespeare did not go to college. He wasn't a university wit, as they were called. Unlike his friends Christopher Marlowe or Thomas Kidd, he didn't graduate from Cambridge or Oxford. He didn't study playwriting, being a poet in college. He just came at it as a young man straight out of Stratford-on-Avon. University wits were trained to write in the Aristotle method. In short, this meant to show action, not show introspection. Everything needed to be played out for the audience's eyes. Shakespeare turns this upside down. With his soliloquies, we venture into the inner working of Hamlet's mind. We are experiencing his own concerns, his bravado, his fear, his slight madness, his utter human element. Nowhere in Shakespeare's writing are the soliloquies more personal, more interpretive than they are in Hamlet. So much so that even Sigmund Freud used Hamlet as well as Oedipus to show the expression of the human psyche as it strives to understand sexuality. Shakespeare's Hamlet talks to the audience, invites them in, in a way that has never been done before, in a more personal and powerful method. We see him struggling. We see him not trying to kill Claudius, and then dreaming of killing Claudius, of him bowing to his king, and of him wishing he could kill him, his inaction that leads to action, and finally his determination at the end of the play to finally see his vengeance through. This all is only possible because Shakespeare was not a university wit. He was writing from the heart, and he was writing a true personal story, making Hamlet an incredibly, almost autobiographical piece, detailing his own grief at his son's death, his grief at his father's death, and his expression of what it means to be alone, and whether or not you can dream of going on, to be or not to be. That was Shakespeare's question. This play is beyond brilliant, and it's inspired so many other plays, and it is the one play that scholars have often said that the world could least do without. It is truly remarkable. It's been used as a basis for many stage plays, as well as, believe it or not, The Lion King. <laughs> Some very interesting facts about Hamlet that I want to share with you real quickly before we close. Shakespeare himself was around 37, maybe 35 to 37 years old when he wrote this play. Hamlet, the character, is supposed to be around 30 years old. So it adds to that kind of autobiographical edge. Shakespeare is living in the skin of Hamlet when he writes Hamlet. There's also been some very notable people who have played Hamlet, of course. Everywhere from Laurence Olivier, Richard Burton, a very interesting person, Edward Booth, which I mentioned in last week's episode. He was the brother of John Wilkes Booth, the man who assassinated Abraham Lincoln. He played Hamlet for over 100 performances on the Winter Garden stage shortly after the death of Lincoln. He went into hiding for a long time after his brother's uh, turn as an assassin. But he came back out of retirement to play Hamlet for 100 performances. 
Then in 1922, you had John Barrymore play Hamlet on Broadway. It was said that he would stop before he reached Edward Booth's 100-show level to allow him to keep the record. But indeed, John Barrymore insisted on playing Hamlet for 101 performances so that he could top that of Edwin Booth. This was later topped in 1964 by Richard Burton, who was directed by John Gielgud, who ran for 137 performances of Hamlet on Broadway. If you haven't seen Hamlet, there's some beautiful stage versions out there that you can see. I'm really not a huge fan of the Branagh version. There is a beautiful one by Derek Jacobi that is on the BBC. It's complete, 100% uncut, but it's the BBC's tapings of all of William Shakespeare's plays. And it is, it's my favorite. It's really excellent. I also have heard very great things about David Tennant's Hamlet. I have not yet taken a chance to see that. I hope I did even slightly um, honor to this great play and to this great playwright and his masterpiece. Hamlet is indeed an inspiring piece that every time I read it, I learn something new. Every time. And I've read it a lot. I want to thank you all for tuning in to Shannon Shakespeare Sunday once again. It's been my pleasure to be with you. I hope you join me again next week. But until then, keep it barred to the bone. Bye-bye. <laughs>